Top 5, a show where we count things down from number 5 all the way to number 1. This week, we're back into the movies. People really like it when we do the movie shows. This week, Top 5 Romance Movies. Top 5 Romance Movies. Getting a little love. Get a little affection. And maybe a little bit more. So let's start off our Romance Movies list with Rodrigo and his number 5. My number 5... So. As a, as a disclaimer, you'll find that uh, a lot of my films uh, are going to have sort of slash something else. So if it's a romance, it'll, have, it'll also be like an adventure yeah. film or yep. a fantasy film or something yep, like yep, that. Yep, yep, yep. Exactly. Uh, Mine so are the same way. Slash action yeah. slash so, hentai. <laughs> uh, wow. That's for a different show. Yeah. Um, so... Um, my number five to, to kick us off in that sense is the princess bride. Oh, nice. Um, and yeah, I, uh, there's all obviously a lot of stuff going on, uh, adventure, um, mystery, uh, Columbo reading, uh, reading something to the wonder years. <laughs> um, but at the core of it, right. There's that, that romance, that the, the driver of it is that romantic, like boy wants to get girl back. But uh, there's lots of impediments in the way storyline. So I figured it's a it's it's a it's a, a kind of a cult classic uh, nerdy movie that I can pass off as a romance and talk about. So my number five, The Princess Bride. Yeah, that's that's, that's a really good one. It, and it's, it's really my number three as well. Oh, is it? It's your number three, Matthew. Why why did you put it to, at your number three? Because I think that when you look at what that movie does, it actually does a lot of things really well. It's got some action movie stuff. It's got some of the high fantasy nonsense. You know, sometimes I confuse it with Spaceballs, and I think that it's got Dick Van Patten, but it doesn't have Dick Van Patten. But I think what it has really at its core is just that deep emotional kind of connection between the two characters. You actually feel like they kind of like each other, and that's kind of rare when you're in a movie and you see a romance plot. You're like, why? What does she see in this dude? And you can kind of see why Buttercup and Wesley have the connection that they have and the the relationship that they have. And there's a couple of really great reveals where she accidentally throws him down the side of the mountain, realizes who he is, and then throws herself down the side of the mountain after him, mm-hmm. which which I think is a great metaphor for marriage. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you hit somebody so hard they fall to their inevitable doom, but you're going to go with them because Bond. And you also have just kind of the silly, silly moments. And I really like when your romance is goofy. Uh, there are two kinds of romance I like. We'll get to the other kind here in a minute. But I like it when your romance has humor to it because all of the romances I've ever been in in my life have been really goofy. And that's kind of fun. It's it's nice to have that thing where you're not all, oh, de schmoopy. I like the Gomez Adams take on the universe where you're like, you know, I'm completely in love with this woman, but I'm also a complete lunatic. And you really get that from the Princess Bride. And of course, you know, Andre the Giant. Well, it's Kermoni, funny. Not, I, not a part of the romance. It's history. funny that you focus on the, uh, the Buttercup and Wesley uh, romance because there's actually a greater love going on in mm. this movie than people realize. And that is the love between a grandfather and his grandson because, and this is something that people don't think about because what's really this story about? It is about a grandfather and a son who are connecting with one another over the shared uh, story that has all of these elements in it. And of course it does have kissing, right? Uh, But you, you see this, this really tight bond, this love form 
between these two. As first, he's like, ah, oh, Grandpa, I just want to play Super NES uh, baseball on here. And Grandpa's like, shut yeah, up, kid. Power Glove is really sick. Yeah. And then, um, and then. I thought, I thought you were going to say the, the, the great, the greater love in this was uh, Miracle Max and his wife. Yes. Well, that too. Right? <laughs> I thought you were going to say the greater love was actually Inigo and Fezzik. No, no. It's, it's just, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I think people overlook is, is in that movie. There is a, there's another love being, being uh, born or being grown. Yeah. And that's between the grandfather and the grandson, which is really, really kind of cool as well. It's definitely, it's not really a romance movie theme, but I'll, I'll buy it. Yeah. All right. Um, my number five, I'm kind of like Matthew. I like it when my romance stories are just a little bit on the screwy side. And if you're going to go into the screwy side, you might have to go back to the olden, olden days of 1931. Even uh, though he uh, could have, even though he could have made it a, a talkie, Charlie Chaplin decided to make City Lights a silent film, and it was a massive success. It brought in over $5 million in its initial run, and that's a 1931 dollars, not adjusted for today. Yeah. A budget of so $1.5 million. today's money, that's 17 scramptillion dollars. Yeah, it made five times its budget. This is the story about Charlie Chaplin, the lovable tramp, who buys a flower from a flower girl, turns out that she's blind, and he instantly falls in love with her. But as... As fate would have it, he gets tangled up with a drunken, wealthy guy, and she thinks that Charlie Chaplin is wealthy. And so she's kind of in love with him because she thinks, oh, here's somebody who's finally paying attention for me, and, and he's someone uh, you know from the upper class, then he's not me. Uh, but then by the end, the two find out what's really going on, and they still love one another, and they get a nice little house and live happily ever after. It is a great movie. If you guys are looking for a silent movie... Two Charlie Chaplin films that you can't go wrong with. Uh, one of them is the um, the kid, which is really good but super super sad. And then the other one is City Lights. It's really really good, and I really think people should check that out. It is my number five romantic movie. All right, let us move on to uh, Matthew's number five. Matthew, what do you have for number five? My number five is actually one that I would not have considered had I not accidentally watched a different movie this weekend. I accidentally realized that I could watch Jay and Silent Bob reboot. And I watched Jay and Silent Bob reboot. And because of that, I remembered one of my favorite, very problematic, but still excellent romantic comedy drama films. Uh, Kevin Smith's best, as far as I'm concerned, Chasing Amy from 1997. Chasing Amy, and, you know, they, they pointed out in the Jay and Silent Bob reboot, they actually have a character come out and say, you know, it's a great story. It shouldn't have been centered on the white cishet male, but it's a great story. Chasing Amy basically is the story of a completely doomed love affair. I mean, it is, there's, from the very beginning, it is clear that there is nothing that is going to go well between Alyssa and Holden. And yet, for some reason, as you go through this movie... You want to see them together. You want to see it work. And you know it won't work because the woman is a lesbian and she says, I am a lesbian and I don't really have anything for men. And finally, you know, they decide they're going to be a couple and then he screws it up because he's a neurotic mess. It's one of those films that just as you go through it, I feel like it feels more authentic than most of the, the stories that you see in a romance. All of these people are totally messed up. And unlike most Kevin Smith movies, 
the fan service and the jokes don't overwhelm the drama. They don't overwhelm the romance. And, you know, I love a Kevin Smith movie. Clerks is one of my favorite movies of all time. I've seen everything the man has made except for that walrus thing because it, you know, it skeeves me out. But all in all, when you look at what Chasing Amy achieves, what it really shows you is something you don't get in movie romances. And that's the thing. This is the part that I'm totally into. The weird, dark, existential realization that not every relationship is going to make it. Not every crush is going to be lifelong. Not every, you know, every time you want to go out with somebody, it's not going to end well. It doesn't always end well. And there's a horrifying revelation that comes in that when you realize, you know, at a certain point in your life, I've crushed on two, three, 17,000 women, and it would have worked with maybe two, maybe three if I was lucky. And there's something comforting and also terrifying about that. And I feel like Chasing Amy is really successful because it has an end and the relationship is like, nope, it's over, it's done. And there is a little four or five minute sequence in the Jay and Silent Bob reboot that serves as kind of an unofficial sequel. And I totally love what it does there. And I feel like that's the main reason that sequel and knowing and thinking this is what happens 25 years down the line is the reason why this movie actually makes my number five chasing Amy. Kevin Smith's best movie. Don't at me. All right. Uh, we are now into our number fours. Uh, Rodrigo, what do you have for number four? Uh, my number four uh, probably takes a little bit of an explanation as to why it qualifies. Um, but my number four is Ponyo, which is the mm -hmm. Studio Ghibli take on The Little Mermaid. And uh, it's a very good movie just by itself. I, I, I strongly recommend it. But the protagonists of Ponyo are two little kids. It's a little boy and Ponyo, who's a little fish chicken monster, but also a little girl. Um, and, uh, these two characters feel very strongly for each other, but they're very little, so they don't, they, their love for each other doesn't express itself in what we might expect of obviously older people, but it's very clear that they have a very strong bond. And to me, it's, I mean, it's a romance. They are, even if they if it doesn't get expressed the way that adults would express it, and if it had, it would be weird. Um, it's like the emotions of children are like the emotions of people don't change just the way that we express them changes. So I think that these two characters are actually in love with each other um, or they love each other at the very least um, to such a degree that they basically change everything about the world uh, through the actions that they take to stay with each other, to protect each other, and so on. So I think that um, in, a, in, a, in an extremely cute and innocent way, Ponyo is actually one of the better romance movies that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Very good. Uh, it's funny that your number four is an animated movie because my number four is also an animated movie. Disney's what? The Little Mermaid. Also, very ironic because your movie has a little fish person. Mine has a little fish person. Yours has a, a land boy. Mine has a land boy. Uh, very much the same, <laughs> except that uh, the, the Little Mermaid, Ariel, discovers that she is in love with a man because of uh, you know, love at first sight, you know, as all 
of the romantic Disney movies are about and the shenanigans that follow. And of course, evil and defeating evil and uh, being yourself is what ultimately people are going to be attracted to and not who you pretend to be. Uh, but it's it really is a great movie. And I loathe the day, fear the day that Disney makes this a live action uh, remake. Although I will say that I like the uh, the Aladdin remake was not too bad. Um, but The Little Mermaid is really a great, great uh, story. It's got a great um, soundtrack to it. It'll make you sing. It'll make you dance. Um, and it'll make you wonder what all these wonderful things are inside your cave. And so my number four, The Little Mermaid. Matthew, what do you have for number four? Well, it's ironic that you and Rodrigo have animated fish movies for your number four. Because my number four has Bill Murray. Uh, I thought you were going to close us out with the incredible Mr. Limpet. <laughs> I should have. Except for the fact that I don't know that I've ever actually seen that movie all the way. Yeah, through. me neither. I did, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I thought it, gets it was boring one about of those, uh, in the one final of those fake movies that people were doing for Disney+. Plus, <laughs> right. But it's and a you, real movie. Did you watch it? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, man, you should check it out. It's apparently terrible. I don't know. I got nothing. Anyway, my number four has Bill Murray. And it has that thing that always gets me, that always drags me into a movie. And it is that weird, ennui-laden longing, the, the unrequited sort of bizarre romantical things. All of that just oh, it gets me. It stabs me right in the heart every single time. That's why my number four is Lost in Translation, mm. which... I wanted to hate this movie when it came out simply because of the fact that there was a 60-year-old main character who was romancing a 19-year-old woman. But they actually get around that. It, that's not the creepy part of this movie. And it's really fascinating the way this movie is put together because with the exception of one kiss in the final scene, they don't actually have a standard romance interaction. Uh, first of all, both of the main characters are married. Bob and Charlotte are both married, but they end up spending several weeks together in Japan where neither of them really speaks the language. They're both completely out of place. They find this weird, I believe, romantic bond that is obviously, you know, very real for both of them, very meaningful. They actually have a terrible fight in the third act that just again you know feels very real very authentic and it feels like something that i'm not saying i've lived that argument but i'm not saying i haven't and i feel like i've had that argument on some level many times in my life and it ends oh my god it ends so beautifully it ends you guys because he's going home and they can't ever be together and he whispers something in her ear and the makers of these films, Sofia Coppola is the director of this film, and she makes the greatest decision as far as I'm concerned. We don't hear what he says to her. We don't know what Bob whispers to Charlotte in the street at the end of Lost in Translation. And the reason for that is, and I believe that this is true, anything that he actually said will be a letdown. Sure. No matter what it is, because I've, you know, I've heard people say, this is what I think it is. I've heard Bill Murray say, this is vaguely what it was. I've heard Scarlett say, this is what I remember. But anything that you say is going to be a letdown. Whatever it is that you want to imagine him saying to her, whatever your particular take is, 
that's how this movie ends. And that's why this little tiny $4 million movie made by a 22-year-old woman made like $125 million and was like a huge deal for a couple of years in the early 2000s. Uh, it has Giovanni Ribisi in it. I don't hold that against them. But it, it's one of those movies that if it's on and I'm flipping through my channel, blip, 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 I'm going to stop. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it from the beginning to the end if I get the chance. Otherwise, I will watch it until whatever, wherever point I come in, I will watch it till the end because there is just something so... Oh, I, I can't really even tell you the word. It is so exquisite to watch the end of this movie and feel so downhearted and so just completely destroyed by the fact that this perfect little single-serving relationship is now over and that it's never going to be there again. And that's somehow perfect. And I really, really love this movie. I want you to go watch it right now. Come back in 86 and a half minutes. Listen to the rest of Top 5. Uh, click on all the odds on major spoilers as well. But here's the thing. My number four, Lost in Translation. Such a beautiful movie. There we go. All right, we have made it to our number threes already. And Rodrigo, what do you have for your number three? Uh, my number three is um, uh, 500 Days of Summer. Mm. Uh, which is... You know, I think very much a um, what appears to be a very much by the numbers manic pixie like uh, narrative where like the boy is a sad sack and he gets this girl and the girl is supposed to like change him. Um, but uh, what I like about it is sort of um, what uh, Matthew was talking about before is that it doesn't really work out. And it's this idea that before you can really care about someone else, you have to like be okay with yourself. Otherwise, that's just going to keep getting in the way. And this might be a lesson to be sussed out of the movie because I don't know that the movie ever explicitly says that. In fact, uh, if you watch the very end, it kind of looks like the main character didn't learn his lesson. Mm -hmm. Um but uh, that's that's kind of what I got out of it is uh, was like, oh, no, this this whole situation was actually pretty terrible from the beginning. But it has almost nothing to do with her. She doesn't change throughout the movie too much. Um, it was him that kind of and of course, it's centered on him. So we see his uh, his reaction to it. It's also, you know, it's it's fun. It's a fun movie because it's. um you know, it's not just a kind of a standard narrative. You see uh, sort of uh, manifestations of how he's feeling by, you know, essentially um, you'll see multiple versions of her sitting with him. You'll see him like we'll jump back and forth on things. He'll address the uh, audience directly. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, it's got it's got, uh, you know, little techniques that that spice it up. And that's that's fun. But, uh, yeah, it's it's this love story. Um, that doesn't work out, and I've always felt it doesn't work out because the characters um, aren't because all it takes is one person to not be mature enough for the relationship, and uh, it's it's all gonna fall apart. And it's like most of the pain that he feels throughout it, 
is because he's not mature enough to handle what's happening and thus he keeps making bad decisions, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, I mean, I like it. I'll sit down and watch it. Yeah, there you go. All right, my number three, I'm going to continue with the musicals for just a moment. Mm -hmm. Singing in the Rain. If you if you like a, a good romance, here is, you know, a, again, it is two different, and that seems to be the thing with with a lot of the romances, right? Where you have somebody who is in one class and somebody who's in a different class and they fall in love with one another, but because of their situation, they're not supposed to be together, but they really are working well together. And then in the end, the, the, the dude finally realizes, oh, wait, I'm being an idiot. And he goes out and he gets the woman of his dreams and they live happily ever after. And Hollywood is perfect all over again. And really, everybody, if you want to find out more about Singing in the Rain, go listen to our classic Zach on Film episode about singing in the oh wait sorry you can't do that yeah, yeah. it's all yeah it's in the it's a it's that, that that's a tragic the, story it's in the crypt of lost podcasts yes, yes. yeah <laughs> but singing in the rain a great a great film uh, great music again a great dance numbers great acting just all around a good movie that has a nice little romance going on in it yeah singing in the rain is my number two that's what i figured it was going to be on your list why why did you put it at your number two uh it's uh I feel like the the romance is important, and it's got uh, a lot of stuff about singing in the rain is very big and exaggerated. So it's got this crazy meet cute, right, where he just like jumps into her car in the middle of a chase, mm -hmm. um, and then from there it's kind of this question of like the 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 will they won't they starts right there, um, and so much of the piece is driven by. Uh, him trying to get her and then him trying to help her and then her being mad at him and stuff. And of course, you know, there's just huge chunks of the the musical that have nothing to do with that because it's a jukebox musical. Right. And sometimes they're just like, okay, well, Gene just wants to put an enormous dance number in the in the middle of this. It's like, well, okay, I guess we're just stopping the film dead. Yeah. And, and, and letting, our, letting our actor get pneumonia while he dances in the rain. Yep. And then and then we're going to we're just going to resume the movie after this. Yep. Uh, so that's kind of why it's not my number one is because it doesn't really center like it, it's it tells you that it centers a romance, but it's also doing a lot of other stuff. It's a great comedy, <laughs> but not a really perfect romantic comedy. Yeah. It's also somewhat a little historical, too. You can learn something yep. from the piece. So there you <laughs> go. Uh, let's see, Matthew, what is your number three? My number three. We went over a moment ago. Oh, that's right. We already did your yeah. number three. So we're back around to our number twos. And, and we Rodrigo, already did my number two. And we already did your number two, which brings me to my number two, Casablanca. Oh, everybody comes to Rick's. And in this case, when uh, the Germans are chasing down a leader of the resistance and just so happens to be married to a woman that you used to love, things are going to get hot. For Ingrid Bergman and Humphrey Bogart and Paul Henry in the uh, in the classic little little movie that you may have heard, Casablanca. Although, if you want to see a modern day remake of it, you could go watch that Pam Anderson uh, piece of crap. Barbwire. Yeah, I would I would say no, but uh, no, you should. Barbwire is good too. I mean, if you enjoy barbwire, then you're gonna love Casablanca because huh? it is note for note just lifted straight up out of this movie. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so the plot is here is uh, um, here's the resistance leader uh, trying to get out. And they just so happen to be in. Uh, what, where does this take place? Morocco. 
Casablanca. Casablanca. Well, no, but uh, what? what uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And so, you know, Rick has to make this decision. Does he work it so that the woman he loves ends up having to stick with him or does he send her away? And kind of like Matthew's um, uh, pick there, uh, I forget what the name of it was now because I, I, it's not one of my favorite films. Of lost either, in translation. Yeah, Lost, it's not really a big favorite of mine. But at the end, they do have to make this decision. Will they get together and stay together forever or will one of them make you know, the grand gesture and say, well, I'm sorry, I have to leave. It was never meant to be. You will always have Paris. And uh, Casablanca, again, just a, just a great fl- flick from top to bottom. It's got everything that you want. It's got uh, great actors. It's got some evil people. It's got Nazis who get uh, stamped down by the, uh, the free world as, as they, they rise up and sing the, uh, the uh, what is it, the French? Or La Marseillaise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. How everyone pronounces that, the Marseillaise. Exactly. Just a, just a good, good film. Good film overall. Casablanca is my number two. Right, uh, Matthew, what do you have for your number two? My number two is another movie that breaks my heart, but I cannot not watch it. And I think that it's probably the second greatest film that Joaquin Phoenix has ever done after Space Camp. Uh, 2013's Her. Yeah. And... When I watch this movie, I am always taken by the fact that it's a romance, um, but it's also this weird futuristic science fiction thing. And the romance is about him falling in love with an artificial intelligence who's basically his computer. And throughout the movie, you get these weird moments where it's like, oh, you're dating a computer. How nice. And he's like, yeah, and, you know, I'm seeing her. She doesn't have a body, whatever. And I'm like, it's it's so nice to see this world where everybody is is perfectly fine with this. And then his ex-wife is like, oh, you're a loser. You're an idiot. You're dating a computer. I'm like, there it is. That's what this movie was lacking. And you really go through this film. If you don't pay attention, you probably wouldn't immediately peg to the fact that this is a, you know, a future science fiction film. If you're not paying attention, if you've only seen snippets of it, or if you're like, oh, yeah, I saw the plot, you don't realize that this takes place in, you know, the year 20, five, five, 15 years or 15 minutes into the future. But that's not the point. Aside from the presence of Star-Lord, there's really nothing science fiction-y about it unless you take into account the fact that, you know, the woman he's in love with isn't actually a woman, isn't actually a person. But I really love the fact that this relationship sort of just pops up and they're just talking they don't have like the big you know romantic gestures and moments and they don't have they do actually have a sex scene but they don't have the big hollywood sex scene they don't have all of the things that you expect to build a romance and yet somehow it's incredibly realistic and incredibly sad when it as you may have noticed from my previous things is doomed and comes apart at the at the seams and everything falls and everyone you know is crushed at the end and again it's another moment where strangely scarlett johansson is the female lead uh and you get to the end and everything comes apart and you're like wow that hurt but it was so nice to you know experience that and i feel like that's kind of what the character is going through as well and i like it when a movie can make me experience what those characters are going through. I like getting to the end of a movie and being like, "Ah," you 
you know, you feel like you've actually experienced something. Um, you know, and some people get that from Optimus Prime riding a, riding a Tyrannosaurus Rex. And if that's your deal, hey, man, uh, no judgment. Have fun. Have at it for me. Existential ennui and doomed romance is where it's at. That's why her is my number two. All right. We have almost made it to our number ones. But before we get to our number one, I want to let you know about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash major spoilers. I know it's uh, tough times out there for everybody, but uh, thanks to you, we are able to keep bringing entertainment podcasts top five to you week after week, month after month, year after year. And if you find some enjoyment in the show and you can afford it right now, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers and sign up at the silver level membership that gets you access to a bunch of exclusive shows. Uh, it gets you access into our calendar so that you know what we're doing next, what's coming up. You can find out when all the other cool things are. Plus, you can connect your Patreon account to our Discord server and get even more content available over there. So if you can, we would certainly appreciate it. Patreon.com slash major spoilers. Thank you so much in advance. All right, let us do our number ones. And Rodrigo, what do you have for number one? Because mm -hmm. if you and I had singing in the rain on our list together, I'm going to bet our mm -hmm. number ones are, I'm, I would bet money that our number ones are the same. Yeah, I would too, because I know that you're a big fan of Matthew Perry. <laughs> and, yep. and, and Bruce Willis. And you, and you, and you love that, uh, mismatched culture clash type story, which is probably why your number one is also Fool's Rush In. Oh, yeah. Nope. Sorry. <laughs> missed it. Missed it. Uh, so Fool's Rush In is probably my favorite romantic comedy uh, because it's probably the one that I've seen the most and it's just like nice and familiar. Also, you know, it stars Salma Hayek, mm -hmm. who is very attractive. She is gorgeous. Uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, Fool's Russian is a story of a man who is played by Matthew Perry. So it's Matthew Perry. <laughs> um, one of, his, be one of his, more Matthew Perry. Yeah. One of his more successful non-friends, uh, outings, which will tell you something about his non-friends outings. Um, and he, uh, has a relationship uh, with uh, Salma Hayek's character and knocks her up. And then from then on, it's kind of this, like, are they going to stay together? Are they not going to stay together? And then their families get involved. And Salma Hayek comes from a, uh, basically both of them come from a cartoon version of like very conservative families of their particular, uh, I guess, country, like um, Matthew Perry's are, parents are like hyper wasps and Salma Hayek's family is like uh, just a, a massive amount of Mexicans, just so many Mexicans. Right. And it's just like so many people in, in the house and they've got crucifixes everywhere. Um, so, you know, as, as someone who is, it's like uh, those uh, people are like a different type of Mexican from me. Um, but it's still nice to see that it's fun. It seems pretty inoffensive. At no point does it really seem like they're making fun of Mexicans for what it is. And 
the moment that it maybe starts to, they just turn right around and make fun of wasps, and you're like, well, that's okay. Um, you know, there's uh, this constant, uh, be, there's a lot of pressure on them to get together, and sometimes there's a lot of pressure for the, on them to break up, and the situation keeps changing. It's pretty funny. You know, ex- exes get involved. It's just, uh, it's a big problem. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, fools rush in. It's uh, one of the uh, one of the things that my family puts on when we're all together um, because it's pretty inoffensive. Everybody likes it, and it's kind of become a tradition. Uh, along with the Thirteenth Warrior, and uh, um, that time uh, when I was in a Schoolhouse Rock, the musical in high school. <laughs> Did you play Bill? I did not. I actually oh, played uh, the, the thin premise as to why the musical was happening, uh, oh. which is also the character that sings the least. The and that was premise. on purpose. Nice. Yeah. All right. Here we go with my number one, and you might have guessed, Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm. It's got, uh, you know, crisscross lovers. Uh-huh. It's got unobtainable goals. Uh, Rodrigo had mentioned ju- jukebox musical uh, earlier. That's why I thought that he was he was triggering Moulin Rouge because this thing is all over the place with yeah. its mishmash of pop music mixed in with this. It's got uh, a Scottish man and an Australian woman both desperately trying to have the same British accent and failing more often than not, and it's so wonderful when they do. I'm sorry, go on. I'm I'm sorry. Uh, nobody crapped all over your uh, her movie. I wasn't crapping on you it. That's what I'm saying. Things about that movie. About it. All right. It's beautiful. All right. Uh, I love Moulin Rouge because, uh, mostly because of the music that brings it together and how they use uh, music to express their love for one another in so many different ways. You know, there are moments where, hey, should we do this? No, we can't do this. But my love tells you that we should. Oh, wait, is that a Beatles tune or is that a different tune that's telling us how much we're in love together? Uh, and then, unfortunately, just like her, it ends tragically where the female lead has to leave, not because she has attained self-awareness and needs to go out into the galaxy and find uh, meaning in life, but because she dies from the consumption. Mm. It's a horrible, horrible ending. But, you know, they do tell you the very first line of the movie is the woman I love is yes, dead. Yes, yes, yes. And that, uh, that final scene is so perfect. I'm sorry, I'm taking over your No, movie. no, no, Go it's ahead. good, because you're right. They tell you at the very beginning how this ends, and that it yep. ends uh, as, as uh, you know, it, it's just a big musical number, and Baz Luhrmann doesn't hold back in trying to make this a lavish, lavish stage production for, yep. uh, for the theater. In fact, you know, it opens up with a curtain falling and, and ends with the curtain falling. It's just a wonderful, it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, little movie. Moulin Rouge, my number one romantic film, I might just go watch that again tonight. So there you go. All right, Matthew. Uh, let's see. You had uh, Scarlett Johansson in two of your movies. Yes. Will you have her in a third? I don't, but I'm actually very mad at myself, and I would like to say that retroactively, had I thought of it, Moulin Rouge should have been on my list. I figured because, because all of us love that incredible. movie so much, I really thought that Rodrigo was going to have it on his list. And I... And, I yeah, I can't. I cannot tell you why it's not on my list, and it's going to be. It's my five point five, because it's an also an also ran that probably mm-hmm. should have been mm-hmm. in place of the Princess Bride. But I, I bet know, I know what your number one is. Learn. 
What do you think my number one is? Jukebox over the head, standing in the driveway, playing Peter Gabriel. A whole jukebox? Yes. A whole jukebox? A whole jukebox. Oh, it, this is, uh, this is the 80s. in New York. Yeah. A whole, a whole <laughs> stropony? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, never before in the history of top five has Steven said to me jokingly, I know what your oh, next no, entry I know what you, is. I know what your correct. next entry is because you posted it on Twitter. And you have never been correct before, and I would like to state that here, top five number, I don't know, 726. I don't know. We you don't are 157% correct. My go. love for Cameron Crowe, my, my ability to put myself in the shoes of John Cusack, my deep uh, spiritual attraction to Ione Skye, and the only thing that I've ever seen her in, but she's wonderful in it, my number one say anything and here's the thing i was born in 1970 uh if you're paying attention if you believe in labels that means that i'm generation x and if you know anything about generation x you know that generation x loves john cusack irony and long coats and this movie has all of that it's a wonderful wonderful film and again it came out in 1989 it's about a kid graduating high school the year that i graduated high school yep, exactly. trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life and realizing that what he wants to do with his life is be with his new girlfriend and when it came out i was so into that and now i'm almost 50 and i'm like my god could they work is it possible that they're still together because say anything ends ambiguously it ends with our, our lovers reunited uh, and uh, Frazier's dad in jail and them flying off to Europe for a year. And I saw it just the other week. Someone posted something. Uh, there's a line in the movie where uh, John Cusack's character, Lloyd, explains that he doesn't want to buy anything, sell anything, or process anything, and goes on for about four minutes. Uh, it's a long and involved sequence. If you really want to hear it, uh, hit up Yoyology on Twitter. Carl will quote it for you. Uh, chapter and verse. I might too, depending on how much I've had to drink. But I saw a thing and it was all the things that Lloyd Dobler has bought, sold and processed in the 25 years since Say Anything. And along the list are things like a dojo when he realizes that he can't have the career anymore and some meaningful life insurance when Diane gets pregnant and they have a kid. And it's just it's so wonderful because it posits that they stay together and that Lloyd manages to be this supportive husband to a brilliant genius wife and grows up to be this old man who is happy being part of her life and being with her forever. And that, my friends, is perfect because yeah. this movie at the very beginning tries to give you the, oh my God, this is doomed. They sell it. They give you the everything is bad and this is not going to work. And you're like, oh no, I don't want to see Lloyd get his heart broken. I don't want to see him get kicked in the face by life. He actually gets kicked in the face by Benny the Jetter Ketus, uh, which, different thing. But it ends on a high note. It ends on an up note. It ends on a moment that could be, could be forever, happily ever after. And if you're a terrible, terrible person like I am, you could worry that they broke up. And if you're a good, kind person who believes in, in truth and justice and love, you can think, oh, they live together forever and they're happy. Uh, Otter Disaster believes that uh, Gross Point Blank is actually a stealth sequel to Say Anything 10 years after they broke up. I'd just like to say that that's sadistic and wrong, and he's, he's wrong, and he's bad, and his opinion is bad, and he should feel bad. But nonetheless, if you love my number one, Say Anything, you are a good person, 
we can be friends. Otherwise, eh, you'll have to be Steven's friend. Ioni Sky has been in Gas Food Lodging in 1992, Wayne's World in 92, mm -hmm. One Night Stand in 97, Fever Pitch in 2005, Zodiac. She was in something called The Rachel Papers, I think, in 89 or 90. Uh, yep. I saw uh, Zodiac in 2007 as an un uncredited role. I'd like to go back and find out which one she is because that movie is really, really good. Uh, yeah. She's been on The Twilight Zone in 2002, Private Practice, and she has a recurring role on Arrested Development if that show ever comes back. Hmm, um, I don't think I've seen that show. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Those are some of the films that you can catch her in, Matthew. Nice. Um, so there, and then there's a whole bunch more. She has been, let's see, she has put in uh, 94, looks to be her best year, although she has been in continuous work and in continual projects. She had a five-year gap between 2007 and 2013, uh, and then she's been working every year. Every year she's in a movie from 88 until today. And in TV, uh, let's see, 2017, 2007. Oh, she was doing Arrested Development uh, during that, that time when she wasn't doing movies. She only did three episodes. She only did three episodes. Open. Also shows that she got married in 2008. I wonder uh, if that five-year gap... Uh, is coincidental with the birth of a kid. That's what I was I was so I was curious about too because she got married in 2008 so that could be definitely could be never know. Anyway, mm -hmm. listeners, what do you think of our top 5 lists? Some good movies on there, some some heartbreakers, some tear jerkers, some ones that'll make you contemplate the universe, some that will make you go, "Oh, uh, so I should take up kickboxing." Um yeah, all sorts of things that you can find in there, but we want to know what your top 5 romantic movies are. Head over yeah. to Majorspoilers.com in the comments section for this episode. You can share your list there. Or even better, you heard me mention the Discord server just a little bit ago. Link in the show notes. You can go over to the Top 5 channel there and share your list because that's where all the cool people hang out sharing their list because everybody loves a list. And we will talk with you next time. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.